Be the best coach you can be. Welcome to the Soccer Coach Weekly Podcast. I'm the head coach, Dave Clark, bringing you hints and tips from the soccer community. On the podcast this week, we have Tony Mee. He's currently a lead youth development phase coach at Doncaster Rovers, and he also holds his UA4A license and is a trained coach educator. Uh, the great thing about uh, Tony is that he's also qualified in everything from boxing through to swimming. So uh, he knows his coaching. Hi, Tony. It's really good to have you on the podcast. Hi, Dave. Thank you for asking me. It's okay. Um, it's kind of a crazy time at the moment for coaches. Um, and we've all been doing stuff to keep busy. Um, I know you used to be a, a physical training instructor. So have you been doing the things uh, like running marathons in the garden and stuff like that? Uh, not Nothing quite that extreme, but... Uh, I've got a couple of little bits and pieces of fitness equipment um, which I've got in the garage which I had to dig out from under a quite a, a growing pile of other collected detritus. Um, so I manage, I go out running probably two, three times a week and then I do a few little exercises in the, in the garage and uh, I've invested in uh, a punch bag which is something I've wanted to do for ages but this forced me into it so I can take out my frustrations on that as well <laughs> yeah I know that is it is that is the, the the point isn't it it's such a frustrating time um I have actually read more books than than normal I'm, I'm actually reading uh Phil Jackson's Sacred Hoops at the moment about basketball and about basketball coaches and the inspiration he got um, so I'm kind of getting inspiration from stuff like that as well. Do you find that you're getting inspiration from doing other things that you wouldn't normally do? Yeah, but unfortunately, most of them involve tidying up and making sure that I reduce the ironing pile down to almost to last summer's clothes. And yeah, but I, I'm, I've always read quite a lot of books. Um, I haven't really this so far god knows how long we're going to be locked down for but i haven't read too much this time but i have got a few books that are that are waiting i've got a um a mixture of music stuff and football stuff i've got ray powers new book uh sat on the side downstairs waiting to go um and i've got one of john lydon's autobiographies upstairs um for me to to have a flick through oh wow yeah brilliant yeah, it does. Um, it does give you more uh, scope to do stuff because normally uh, my evenings are spent either uh, coaching or uh, setting out sessions to do coaching. So mm. uh, it, it 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 is a different um, sort of time, isn't it? Um, so how did you get from your physical training? Because it was it with the army you were a physical trainer. Yeah, I, I, so I joined the army in 1979 and became what's called an assistant. PT instructor within the Royal Corps of Signals. Um, that was that was then my pretty much the majority of my career. And it was it was kind of my secondary job behind uh, working with communications. But actually, I spent more time working in in gymnasiums than I did in radio relay wagons. Um, and then I I did my first football coaching course while I was still in the Signals, the old um, FA half badge. Uh, then I transferred oh, into yeah. the Army Physical Training Corps and did the, the full badge uh, a year after I did that. And Then when they introduced the UEFA qualifications in, I think it was 98, uh, yeah. 
we did these conversion courses and I think I was on probably the second conversion course to, to, to transfer my old FA full badge into the UEFA A licence. Right, okay. And then, uh, and but now you're a lead youth development phase coach, aren't you? So what does that involve? That, that's at Doncaster Row, isn't it? Yeah, so my my remit is to look after all, all the teams that play 11-a-side football. So for us, the, the YDP goes from under 13 to under 16. Um, my main role is coaching the under 16s, but overseeing the whole programme, uh, making sure that the syllabus in place, that we're fully staffed, that the coaches um, deliver from the syllabus that we have in place at the club. Right. So you, so that syllabus then is that? Uh, do you have an input into that? Is that part of your remit? Yeah, that was something that uh, a group of us sat down and, and put together. It evolves over the years, but we're now into the the second year of our of our current syllabus, um, which which works really well for us. I'm not saying it would work well for everybody, but you know, it's gone from Certainly when I first started in Centre of Excellence Football at Rotherham United, it was pretty ad hoc. You were given a bag of balls and a set of cones and some bibs and, and you were pretty much left to your own devices. And, and certainly over the time that I've been involved in uh, in and around pro clubs, that's got uh, much more focused, much more directed. And we now have uh, a syllabus which covers all the different moments in the game, all the different areas of the pitch, both in attacking and defending and and obviously, probably the most important part, which is for me, is transitions. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That is uh, that is good. Yeah. It's funny. Um, you should talk about how we how we used to have just a bag of balls and uh, and cones and things because uh, I was watching uh, the Bobby Robson film more than a manager the other day. I got up in the morning and I thought, oh, I'll I'll watch this, and it shows how he when he first started at Ipswich when he when he was a coach. Um, and what what they had, I mean, he didn't, you know. Now we would turn out, we would be there uh, half an hour beforehand, plotting what we were going to do. He turned up, like you were saying, with just a bag of balls, and 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 they'd all be in a line, and off they'd go running. But um, yeah. and and it has really changed now. And um, that's one of the things I've noticed at the moment is that um, there's such a ton of stuff being put out on social media, and some and it, it must be quite difficult for. Um, uh, less experienced coaches to uh, sift through all this and find out um, what's the correct kind of stuff to use because people say to me oh you know I got this really good session Dave off uh, Twitter here it is this is what we do and I'm like well okay watch the coaching point what's the coaching point for the players and, mm. and often the stuff that they pick up off the web I'll, 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 I'll give them something to coach for it'll get over their half hour of intense coaching that they have to do and they're not really quite sure what they've done but the kids have done something and I do find that um not 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 annoying but it's kind of um not the the right way for most coaches shouldn't be just uh taking stuff like that should they no I think that obviously with experience you develop a good I was going to put another word in there a good filter um <laughs> around what sessions you what sessions you can deliver, what sessions you need to deliver, and how you can adapt other people's sessions. So the the ones that that get me are where, where I say oh, a session will get put out on social media and someone will go, 
to the, they'll up their mate in it and go, oh, let's do this tonight. Well, what were you planning to do? Yeah. Where, where, where does that fit? I get that a lot of part-time coaches um, and grassroots coaches don't have a, a whole lot of time to to plan their sessions. Um, but I, I do feel that you've got to have some idea of a, of a structure for the week, for the month, for the part of the season. Um, and with a bit of self, needless self-promotion now, which you can always edit out later, I've just put a book out, I'm just putting a book out um, where I'm hoping that it, it gives some people an idea of how to structure um, a season um, and what areas of the game and areas of the pitch you need to work on. Right, yeah, no, I, 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 I that, that's great. I'm, I'm not uh, I, anything that helps coaches uh, that that you've come through because uh, obviously um, with elite soccer and and the sessions that like that you've done the session for elite soccer and all the stuff that comes through because they're from uh, you know coaches that um, have 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 worked their way through uh, that kind of uh, experience, then you're getting sessions that are really really um good sessions that uh, um you need to you that you can use within your uh, coaching ability so um um i um when it comes to uh designing sessions and coaching sessions uh, where do you actually start do you have uh find that the game model impacts your session design um yeah to a to a degree but obviously for us the the syllabus affects our session design we know that we've got a certain number of players uh, or you, you you know you presume you know you how many you've got in your squad even with academy football you're not guaranteed that they'll all turn up on on any given night um it, having an idea of of what you've got to deliver and where you where you've got to deliver it on the pitch is what for me informs a, a lot of my practice design um and again not every session that that I design and deliver is necessarily an original session. I might do the same as other coaches do, where I'll read a book, I'll see a session, but straight away I think, well, yeah, that'll fit in. However, you know, I'm not working with fifty million pound fullbacks, mm. so my the expectation, um, you know, I can still drive the standards. I'll need to moderate my expectation in terms of what I get out of that session from those individuals. Right. Yeah. And so, yeah, I, I, as you mentioned, individuals. So, um, how do the how do individuals then come into your well within your club? How do they do you do you change sessions because of the the, the certain individuals that you have who, if you want an in, uh, certain players to benefit from the session more than others, uh, is is that something that you would work on? Yeah, I think that, like, so the session that that I've done for elite soccer, for example, it's got a particular focus on attacking players, um, and what the players have to realise and what coaches have to realise is for that session in particular, the focus is going to be on maybe wide players delivering quality balls into the box and two strikers, three strikers, one striker, however many you work with in your formation they're going to be the focus of that particular session. The others will still have points to work on. And obviously, this is an advantage if, if you have two coaches 
in uh, working with each team. Let's say that I'm working on finishing from crosses, for example. Um, my partner coach can focus on the on the defenders and what they do within that session. So it's not entirely driven for two or three players, but in terms of who says what and when, the majority of that would then come from me working working on the focus area rather than uh, rather than the other coach who's working on the support area. Right, sure. Um, so um, so within your session then, um, and say say if I'm looking at your session, to me it brings up say teams like Liverpool counter attack, Manchester City attack and counter attack. Is that the kind of uh, is that the kind of outcome you would be looking for? When, when you're, if, if say we play your session, then we go out onto the pitch to play a match. Is that outcome a similar sort of counter-attack attacking style with that session? Yeah. So the the focus of our work for that week would would then follow into the focus of our um, learning outcomes or game outcomes from the the game that we play on the Sunday morning. So we would be looking to see how much of what we've done during the week we can then implement. In the game on on the Sunday morning, right, sure. And so, if we, we if we look um, with slightly more focus then on your session, um, so we've got basically uh, we we it's it's got two um, it's got two zones at either end, attacking zones, hasn't it? Two eighteen yeah. yard attacking zones, yeah. Uh, and 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 we've got crossing channels. Um, do you so when you when you put the players into the crossing channels um they are are they one touch do they have or, or are you allowing them to to basically run the channel and cross the ball at the point they think they should be crossing it i think that in this session i think initially i've said that they're limited to two touch so right. depending on where they receive the ball would then dictate the t- the type of cross that they're going to make and also the type of runs uh, that the strikers would make yeah. may well be that um, I'm just looking at the first diagram now in 1A where yeah. the ball gets played out and the, the player in the channel is near the halfway line. You might not want them to cross from there. So what else can he do? Can he lend it to one of the midfield players, make a forward run and then receive it higher up? Um, and, and then cross from there. So it's not a case of, you know, cross it from wherever you receive it. Uh, init- uh, that's just in the initial phase. You would, um, I'm pretty sure that as it goes down, we take away that restriction and, and allow them to run the channel and also at some point allow them, uh, allow the defending team to oppose them in there as well. Sure. And do you have, um, so when we're playing the ball into the crossing player, are you are you take, getting your midfielders to are are they going to move in and uh, are they going to control the initial ball and then they're going to play it out wide with your attackers moving off that? Yeah, so we'd look for a little bit of possession yeah. um, within the midfield, and then the, the the strikers and the the neutral players in the channels would need to make complementary and supplementary movements to wherever the ball is. Um, just to get that realism of movement rather than starting from a, a fixed static position. Right. And um, when you limit the, when you limit them to two touches, 
what's the actual reason for that is that to, is that to get the crossing quicker absolutely yeah because what you i think that what i've found in the past is if you let them have um unlimited touches at the start of the practice uh, and i get the reasons why why you might allow that if they receive the ball on the halfway line for example on this particular practice where i've said that the pitch length is 75 yards they're going to run 30 yards unopposed down a channel um, and the other players potentially could switch off during that. So it's, it's like you said, it's to get the ball into the box from different areas. You know, there's no saying they don't have to receive the ball up by the halfway line. Um, and if, if, if you're working with players who've got the, the right quality, if they want to put it in first time, well, that's, you know, that's realistic for me. It doesn't have to be two touches by, by putting that stipulation on there, it does allow the strikers to know what's coming next. He is going to take a touch to steady himself, and then that will trigger the striker movement. Right. So, um, triggering the striker movement, then, that uh, that brings in communication, I assume, from the minute the ball is released, say, by the goalkeeper playing it into midfield. Then, yeah. then how, how do you then coach... Because communication to me is absolutely key, and often um, when I go to watch demonstrations or I watch something, communication is something that you don't see because the because the session is set up and a coach is controlling it and the players know what what they expected of them. It's very difficult, I always find, to get across what the communication would be between a guy who's going to cross the ball and maybe he will cross it first time and the the link up between the midfielders and the attackers is that something you can actually coach then we it to be fair it's the most um probably complained about aspect of youth football is how poor they are at communicating on the pitch um you know, you get them into a huddle and you ask the questions, what do we expect, what do you think, blah, blah, blah. And they'll come out with all the answers and they're really good at that. You then put them out on the pitch and all of a sudden these these chatty, expressive young players become almost mute at times. Um, but if you work to um, a, a common vocabulary, for example, and, and I know that one of the we were talking about this yesterday in a staff meeting on uh, on Zoom about if you have a common language, a common vocabulary that you use, actually you only need probably half a dozen theme words, buzzwords, call them whatever you like. Um, and if players know what they are and, and, and are prepared to use those one or two words, um, then, then you do start to get some understanding. It, it might not be as noisy if you like on the pitch as it was when when we were kids playing um, and I don't know whether that's a societal thing or not whether that's a football thing or a societal thing that you know the majority of kids these days don't communicate face to face they communicate over headsets playing xbox and they communicate yeah. via text uh, and that art of communication on the pitch is a bit of a dying art really I'm not sure how we get it back but we try yeah yeah no i know because it is it's funny that isn't it it's communication and then also um one of one of the other uh problems i find 
um, that people talk to me about is is the motivation of the players. So um, so if I'm running this session, how do I motivate my defenders? How do I motivate the players who aren't? Uh, well, I mean they're key, but then if you see what I mean, they're not key to the actual crossing and and heading. Yeah. How do I motivate those players? Yeah, I think the the, the play if you can set little individual challenges. Um, for the players, if you like, that aren't the focus. So it might be past completion, it might be to pass more with your weaker foot, whatever it is, then that might focus in their um, motivation, if you like. Their motivation is to be, is to not give the ball away as, as much, whatever percentage you want to put on that. Um, and, and you can, you know, you can use, they know the, the past completion rates for the players that are playing the highest level of the game because they watch football or they see it on these FIFA cards um, and things like that. So you can give them little challenges within the game so that they're not they're not left out. And because this practice works in both directions, there's plenty of work for the midfield players to do within this particular session. Yeah, yeah. No, I... I, I yeah, I can see that. I agree. Um so when when you um, when you say you stop the game when things aren't working, say the ball isn't getting crossed uh, or the attackers aren't aren't running, what what are the key things that you um, bring out when you when you stop them, get them into a huddle, say for for a few minutes? What are the key areas that you concentrate on to actually get that coaching point? So. From a personal point of view, I try not to bring them in every time I want to make a point. I'd rather leave them out on the pitch because it keeps the it keeps the picture in their mind. Um, again, with if it was the wide player who's who's putting the ball in, we would we might look at technique. Is it his, is it his technique that's letting him down? Is he just sort of hoofing the ball into an area and hoping for the best? So we might give them specific areas to focus on. And one of the things that that I used to do. I don't, I don't do it very much anymore. Uh, now that we train on on turf most of the time, um, if I wanted the cross to go through a particular area, I'd, if we were doing it on grass, I'd stick two poles in and right. ask them to cross the ball between the poles, so they've got an actual target area. I can still do that, and I still do it every now and again with um, with cones. Yeah. I'll put I'll put two cones on the floor and say, "Can you get the ball to go through that area?" Now, if the ball's going to go through that area, that then shows the striker the type of runs that I want them to make. Um, and I'll always remember working with a, a guy when I was at Rotherham United called Mark Todd, who played at Rotherham and played at Sheffield United. And, and his thing was space ball man. Leave, leave the space, put the ball into the space, then the man arrives. Yeah. And I think little little triggers like that, little little pictures like that that you can paint in players minds um you know you don't want the cross going in the man's already there and the ball goes behind him so it's just a little order of where i wanted where i want things to be and, and, and how and the order that i want them to happen in right sure and so so within that within this session then um when do you decide 
because so, I mean we always put down okay we'll work 10 minutes on this 15 minutes on this 20 minutes on this but um you know as well as I do you can you can, you might get you might get what you want to get across after five minutes or it might take yeah. you even longer so when do, when do I know to move on say so your final part is uh, an 11 v 10 game yeah yeah so how do I what triggers are telling me okay it's time now to move into that because because I've done the practice of that focus and now it's time yeah. to move in, into a game I think that for me, the experience of knowing when I've had a, a certain amount of success, if we've never had, if we have, if I've been going, if I've planned for 10 minutes and after 15 minutes, 17 minutes, we still haven't had a shot on target, then I need to change the practice, but without changing it too much. I want them to have a, a degree of success, of acceptable success, um, before I move on to the next phase of the practice. If I had to take a defender out, for example, um, then fine, I'll just take a defender out. And, and you know, once we're getting some balls that are going towards the goal from crosses, then that's an acceptable level of success. We can work on finishing technique in another practice another time or later on in the session. Or if I've got space, I can take those players out and, and do a little bit of unopposed work with them. Um, but I think experience tells you when to move on i certainly wouldn't move on if if we hadn't had any success at all because it's a little bit self-defeating yeah sure and when you and um and, and in your session in one of the final parts before you move on you allow um defenders into the into the channels don't you um yeah basically to to so you you've learned the technique you've learned the skill and then here here it is under pressure yeah because Again, we need to test their decision making. So if the ball goes into the channel for the player to cross it and he's constantly unopposed, they'll get a little bit blasé, I suppose. They'll just start knocking the ball back in without really thinking about what they're doing. They'll take that touch and, and swing it in. Well, now can we ramp their challenge up a little bit? Can you beat the man? Can you combine with the midfield player to get in behind the man that comes into the channel? So... The, it's different again it ramps up the challenge for different players and it gets them to do it under you're starting to replicate match situations because very rarely are the wide players going to get the ball and, and be able to put a ball in um without some sort of pressure now if they can deliver before the pressure gets there great it challenges their decision making that might dictate to them whether they're going to go with a one touch cross or two touch cross or dribble down the line and beat the man sure right and that um and so, um, do you have uh, one eye on on the match ahead of you when you move into the eleven v ten game? Do you have one eye on the game that's coming up, or is that just just does that to the actual game that you're going to play? Because it's say it's under sixteens. Is it is it not? Uh, are the is the competition not relevant, or because, would you just still concentrate on the same areas? It's uh, it's fairly irrelevant because obviously we don't go around scouting the the other cat three clubs in our area we don't get we don't have any match footage of of what they do you know our focus is our focus for that week there might be things within the game that we play on a sunday that we tweak um based on what they do their shape against our shape you know we'll play a, a certain formation for a number of weeks across the season but we don't play we don't play only one formation all season so if we play a local team 
at the start of the year and we let's say we played them with a 3-5-2 the next time we play them three months later four months later whenever it is we might be playing 4-2-3-1 or 4-3-3 so that we we would generally just stick to our game plan and what our formation is and what our theme of work is for that week rather than change it specifically for the Sunday right sure um, and and within that game practice um are you do, are, are, are you are you just allowing the game to flow are you are you now saying this 11 v 10 we've got 20 minutes to play at end of a session is that will that just run out then yeah but but within that we would be asking them to recognize opportunities to go back to what we've just been doing in the technical practices so if we get the chance to get the ball into a wide player and get the cross in and the strikers have stopped making the runs, it's that reference back to what we were doing before. You know, can you can you can you see the relevance? This is as a player. Can you see the relevance of what we were doing in a technical practice now and recognise where it fits into the game? Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's good. So within that session then. So now we've run through it. Um, I'm at the moment I'm coaching uh, I coach with Leatherhead and I'm coaching under nines and I'll always take uh, bits from a session like this obviously um, the the level of the players etc and the numbers of players change but the the actual um, as you probably know yourself the actual crossing and the actual receiving of the ball whereas it's probably going to be it'll be into feet rather than other you know to head eight or whatever Um, do you do you see that sessions like this? Do you find that you can adapt them for other age groups? Yeah, I think I I, met, I touched on it before. Like I said, some of the stuff that that I I pick up on is um, is done at elite level. So I might watch the first team train, or I might have been invited invited to St George's Park a couple of times, and I've seen sessions done with the national team, which I can take back and, and put on for under 16s just with subtle tweaks you know and not having the same level of expectation you've got to be prepared to adjust so in your example there working with under nines the principle might be the same as you said the heading thing is a whole contentious issue now especially (laughs) with the younger ones you know you've got little lads out uh little lads and, and lasses out wide who probably can't cross the ball in in the air anyway so what can you do differently it might be to the objective for you working with an under nines group for example might be to create a a strong and a weak side so we're playing the ball down the left we draw all their players over towards the ball now instead of being a crossing um theme to the end can we switch it quickly through midfield? So can he bounce it off a striker who sets it back to a midfield player who plays out to the opposite fullback overlapping, for example, um, or a midfield player breaking forward to shoot from around the edge of the box? So I think that coaches' understanding of the game and, and, and how they can how they can adapt sessions to fit the players that they've got, whether that be age, the space that you've got to use, we have to be creative. We have to be really creative as coaches. So I'm putting this session in Elite Soccer magazine with a, a 75 by you know 50 area, for example. That's yeah. probably twice as big as, as some people ever get to work in. 
one of the things that what what they you could do, for example, if you've only got a narrow area that you work in, is change where you put the goals. Instead of putting the goals on the two narrow ends, if if your focus is doing something from wide areas or switching play, for example, put the goals on the long ends. If if that makes sense, I'm just I'm I'm hoping people can paint the picture now from what I've just said. <laughs> yeah. But just by manipulating the area that you've got and ma- manipulating the numbers that you've got, you can pretty much make any session fit any age group. I, I I strongly believe, and I've mentioned this a few times, that every session that's ever been invented has probably already been invented. Right. You very rarely you very rarely see a session now that you haven't seen something similar to or that you haven't seen before yeah i know that i i totally agree it is um i mean that it's the principles of play isn't it basically you're you're trying to get an outcome so we all we all have different ways of 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 coping with that um that's great one thing that's really annoying at the moment though is that now we've spoken about all this and how we can change it and what we can do i'm just dying to get out there and i know all the problem is I've got all my players, you know, all their parents ringing me up saying, oh, what can we, you know, what can we do now? They're just desperate to get out. And and it is really, it must be really difficult at, at nine years old to understand, actually, you know, you, you can't see your friends and you can't play in the games. Um, it, it's, a, it's a great shame because my team, I think it was nearly a month before we, we stopped play because of the, the weather conditions and the rain and everything. We we missed we missed about four. And I was promising them every week, oh, we'll play next week, we'll play next yeah. week. Um, and, and even at Leatherhead, where they have so many good pitches, the the the, the rain on the pitch stopped us actually playing. So um, some of these uh, teams, we haven't played for, you know, two or three months already. And it's going to be... Um, I, I'm, I'm, do you have a are you building a plan at how you're going to get back into uh, coaching or will it almost be like pre-season well until we get some guidance uh, I guess from the football league um, as far as academy football goes we could well be finished now um, until yeah. until we start pre-season in July this is just me speculating because uh, at the minute we were told April the 3rd, that's obviously come and gone now. I think that the next review date, I can't remember whether it's the middle of April or the end of April. Our yeah. season was due to finish um, the first Sunday in May. Now, yeah. Because the schoolboy programme, the 9s to 16s programme, isn't competitive, I can't see us starting back playing one game and then finishing. And likewise, because we do, you know, we, we are very... I guess very selfish and, and saying, well, let's keep playing all the way through the summer. I think it's important that kids go and do other things and experience other sports during the summer. So there'll be some decisions to be made, and certainly above my pay grade, about what happens with the schoolboy program when we start back. Are we done now till July? Um, obviously, you know, we're looking at it from a football perspective. There's a much wider uh, and much more serious context to to all this uh, with the with the under 18s program our um, our under 18s were sat at the top of the league with i think two games left to play and and they don't know whether they'll finish their season because the plan for them was to uh, 
have a cutoff date around the middle of April and then or at the beginning of April and then go into a um, a top half bottom half split for the rest of the season. So do they draw a line under it now? Do they go back and finish their last two games? Let's say that we're allowed to resume football in in May with a two week pre-season and, and then two games a week to finish off the season. There's a hell of a lot of guesswork going on and, and I don't think anybody really knows what the outcome will be. Mm, no, no. I know. I, I just hope, yeah, like, like you do, that something will be sorted out and um, we can all get back out there. Anyway, Tony, it's been absolutely brilliant having you on here today. Um, so thanks very much and thanks for some great insights. Uh, that that session is in uh, Elite Soccer. If any, you can get hold of Elite Soccer so you can see Tony's session in there. Uh, and thanks very much, Tony. Pleasure. Thanks very much, Dave. Thank you for listening to the Soccer Coach Weekly podcast. If you're interested in more information on soccer coaching, advice, activities, or general guidance, go to soccercoachweekly.net.